Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello and welcome to this podcast episode. I'm recording this in early May, which in Australia means that we're getting out of autumn and getting pretty close to winter. So the days are getting a little bit shorter and a little bit cooler as well, even here in beautiful Perth, where we usually have pretty good weather all year round. And we're also getting close to the end of the financial year here in Australia, which finishes at the end of June. So I hope your business year has gone really well for you and I hope it's been really successful. It's also getting to peak conference season here in Australia. So I'm doing quite a bit of travel, really enjoying speaking to a variety of audiences, a variety of themes and uh, talking to different groups about what they're looking at for the future. There seems to be a growing optimism, but also people are concerned about the pace of change and what they need to do to be fit for the future. One of the events I spoke at recently was an event for conference organizers. And that was fascinating because I feel like I'm part of the conference and events industry. But also, this was a chance for me to be on the other side of the table. I'm often booked by conference organizers, uh, and I get to see it from a speaker's perspective, but it's really interesting to see it from the organizer's perspective as well. And one of the things that I've done is I've written a report about the future of conferences. As a futurist, it makes sense for me to look at how the events industry is changing, especially in Australia. And this report, The Future of Conferences, looks at 10 things that great conference organizers do differently. So I want to go through those 10 things that the content from my report in this program today. Um, I've also got a version of the report which you can download from our website. So if you go to gihanperera.com, go to the resources section, you'll be able to download the full report, The Future of Conferences, where you'll get access to more resources and links to the, the material that I talk about in this program. Let's dive in and have a look at the 10 things that great conference organizers do differently. And I'm being really specific here about the word great because I think there are good conference organizers and then there are great conference organizers and the conference industry has changed and the role of conferences has changed and good conference organizers are still delivering pretty good experiences with the events but great conference organizers are going further and really creating transformational events. So let's talk about the future of conferences because really Technology, things like video conferencing, online meetings, telepresence, and other sort of collaboration technology um, are, are growing and they're gaining traction. And that's affecting the in-person conference. It doesn't mean that the in-person conference is obsolete or dead, not by a long way, but its role has changed. And some of the benefits of coming together for a conference can be achieved now just as well in other ways. Uh, but that's a good thing because now you can focus on the things that make your conference experience really special. So I'm going to talk about these 10 trends that are affecting professional conferences and events and how conference organizers can take advantage of them. Good conference organizers adapt to these changes and great conference organizers embrace them to create really transformational experiences. I've also written a white paper called The Future of Conferences and has a little bit more reference material than what I can cover here in this audio program. If you'd like to get a copy of the white paper, it's available free from our website. If you go to gihanperera.com and go to the resources tab, you'll be able to download the white paper, The Future of Conferences, and that's a really good complement to this program because um, you'll see references to other articles and other resources that will help you get more out of this program. I'll also refer in this program to some excellent research done by McCrindle Research about the conferences, meetings and events industry here in Australia. So if you'd like to get access to that, that's also available free from McCrindle Research. And just Google the Future of Business Meetings Industry Report and you'll be able to get access to that. It really gives you an insight into what people within the industry uh, think that the future of the industry is going to look like. And I'll talk about some of the things that come out of that report in this program. So first of all, uh, most people in the industry are optimistic about it. So when the industry professionals were asked, well, how optimistic are you about the industry for the next 15 years? Two thirds of them said they were very optimistic and 95% uh, of them said they were very or somewhat optimistic. Now, of course, you might take that with a grain of salt because these are industry professionals who are reporting on their own industry. So, of course, you might think, well, of course, they're going to be optimistic about it. 
But that sort of optimism is also reflected in other research. For example, American Express, uh, in their 2018 Meetings and Events report called Global Meetings and Events Forecast, they said the industry is growing as well. And they were looking at external criteria, not just a survey, but they were looking at things like hotel bookings and business travel. And in fact, that was worldwide. Now, that said, back in Australia, it's not a time to be complacent. Uh, it, you shouldn't be assuming that you're, we're going to have automatic continued growth. In fact, the industry is being squeezed by a number of external factors. And the McCrindle report says that industry insiders will readily identify the two biggest challenges for the industry and their external challenges. So when they were asked what are the biggest challenges that the industry will face in the next 15 years, the two biggest are costs and time. So time and money, the two biggest challenges that many businesses face. So three quarters of people said that travel time is going to be the biggest cost. And then a little bit less than that was destination costs and travel costs. And about two thirds of people said also socio-political factors. And about 60% of people said fiscal changes. In other words, can we afford it? Can it go into a budget for us to send one, two or more people to a conference? Now, of course, that puts a strain on events and conferences because businesses and individuals are making decisions, sometimes hard decisions, about where they're going to spend their hard-earned money. And unfortunately, too often, events and conferences are at the front of the queue when it comes to the chopping block. So that's the background. Let's talk about the 10 things that great conference organizers do differently. I'll give you a summary now and and then let's look at them one at a time. So number one, networking is not enough. Your attendees want to make strong connections and build lasting relationships. Number two is their thinking starts well before they arrive. So help your delegates with better preparation so they make the most of their attendance at the conference. Number three is that they're not just attendees sitting silently and listening. They want to be active participants in co-creating the conference experience. Number four, they don't come to the conference just for more information. They want actionable insights that make a lasting difference. Number five, they don't want you to work at keeping them entertained and engaged constantly. They want a conference that flows effortlessly. Number six is about technology. Gadgets and gizmos don't impress anymore unless they're really transformational tools that enhance their experience. They want to take their corridor conversations inside and actively take part in in in-session collaboration. Number eight, there are other places where they can learn new skills. They want the conference to shift their thinking instead. Number nine, a conference isn't a one-off event. It can now be an integrated part of their entire journey. And ten, Online events aren't the enemy of in-person conferences because they can enhance and extend the overall experience. Okay, so that's a summary. Let's have a look in detail at the 10 things that great conference organizers do differently. So number one is from networking to connections. People have always attended conferences for the chance to connect and to reconnect with peers and colleagues. And good conference organizers know this. They know the importance of creating spaces during the conference for networking and relationship building. Great conference organizers also facilitate connections with speakers and delegates before they arrive. So they help delegates connect with speakers and they help delegates connect with each other before they arrive. Now, it's no secret that many delegates attend events for the in-person interactions and connections, not just for the on-stage presentations, especially because they now have so many other online tools for virtual collaboration and for online learning that they really value the time when they're at the event that they can meet face-to-face, belly-to-belly with other people. In fact, delegates want more networking time at conferences, even while saying that they want shorter conferences overall. So the McCrindle research asked how will events change over the next 15 years, and most people said that delegates will want shorter events, longer networking, and shorter keynote presentations. But they're actually going further, and they want organizers to help facilitate those connections. So the McCrindle research also said that uh, delegates want digital matchmaking to help in their networking, and 70% of the respondents said that that was important. So how do you make that happen? Here are some ideas. You can engage with your speakers. So when you've got your speakers booked in, and publish their contact details, especially their LinkedIn address, on the conference website and in the event app, and encourage your delegates to connect with your speakers. Now, some speakers will encourage this, and they, they will volunteer this information up front and encourage you to pass on their contact details to delegates. But it's surprising to see how many of them don't want to do that. Don't assume they will. 
ask for it and make it clear to them that as part of being on the program, they don't just turn up and present and then leave. Uh, you also want to give delegates the opportunity to engage with them, especially before the event starts. The next thing you can do is help delegates engage with each other. So publish your delegate names and their contact details as they register. Now, of course, there's some privacy issues around this, so you need to get their permission, but you want to encourage them to connect with each other before they arrive. And again, LinkedIn is a really good balance between access and confidentiality. It's the best social media platform for connecting people at your conference because it is a business platform, a professional platform. Many of your participants are already using it. It provides space for positioning and profiling, and, and it does already have these built-in features for publishing, for connecting, for recommending, and for collaboration. So I think one of the things you should do is make the most of LinkedIn uh, for your speakers, for your delegates, and of course, for yourself as well. Uh, LinkedIn is one of the oldest social networks. It boasts over 400 million users worldwide, but unfortunately, many people still don't use it well. Um, I reckon there are 10 things that you can do to boost your return from LinkedIn, and you're most welcome to share this with your delegates and speakers as well. So number one, ensure that your profile is professional, current, and accurate. That's kind of that, the price of entry. Two, change your public URL. Now, LinkedIn by default gives you a URL, but it usually includes some odd numbers, but you can customize it to make it more readable. For example, mine is linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Gihan Pereira. Now, in this day and age where lots of people are clicking on links, this is not crucial because most people won't be typing it in, but it's one little nice thing to do that makes it look a little bit more professional. Number three is to add a professional portfolio. So LinkedIn has areas called summary, experience and education where you can load information, you can upload pictures, you can upload videos and slideshows. So use that, make use of it so that people who see your profile get a much richer experience. Number four is to connect with people you know and connect only with people you know, both for incoming and outgoing invitations. Now, no might be extended to, I know you're going to be speaking at the conference, I'd like to connect with you. Or I know you're going to be at this conference and I'd like to connect with you. So there's something in common. Now, there's some exceptions to this rule, but it's a pretty good start. Number five is to search for interesting people. So use LinkedIn's search feature to find people that you might want to connect with at the event, including the speakers, the panelists, the other delegates. Number six is to ask for introductions. So if you do want to connect with people you don't know, find a mutual contact and ask them to make the introduction for you. Number seven is to write recommendations. So write testimonials for people in your network and testimonials on LinkedIn, which on LinkedIn are called recommendations. Number eight is to share other people's materials. So be a quality filter for your connections. Share links to articles, blog posts, videos, and other online material that you think that your LinkedIn connection will find useful in a professional context. Number nine is to share your own material. So write articles and share them with your LinkedIn connections. And finally, number 10 is to participate in groups. So search for groups that you like join them and contribute. Now, that's not everything that you can do with LinkedIn, but it's a pretty good start. And if you're not using LinkedIn, if your speakers aren't using LinkedIn, if your delegates aren't using LinkedIn, that's a really good way for them to get started. Okay, number two is from promotion to preparation. Don't assume that delegates only start thinking when they turn up at the conference itself. You can get them thinking well before they take their seats and weeks and months before the event. Good conference organizers use a variety of promotional tools, things like speaker videos, email bursts, social media, and in-person promotion. But great conference organizers take this further by doing more. They spark conversations, they seed ideas, and they build momentum for the event long before people get there. So how do you do that? Here are some ideas. Conduct interviews with the leaders and key influencers, key people who are going to be at the event. Talk to them about their key messages and their objectives of the conference, and then distribute those interviews to delegates before the event. And not just to the people who've registered, but of course, as part of your promotional material, it can go out to anybody who might be a potential delegate. Now, the obvious choice is to record these as video, but you could also offer them in audio form because some people like downloading MP3 files to their phone or tablet and they will listen to them while they're doing other things. 
And the next idea is educational articles. So ask your speakers for high-quality articles that you can use in your pre-conference marketing emails. Many speakers already have a selection of articles related to their topic and area of expertise, and they'll allow you to share them with your delegates. And that helps you to build buzz before the event. Some speakers will even tailor or customize the articles for a particular industry, organization, or even customize it for your event. Next are customized pre-event videos. Ask all your speakers to create a 60 to 90 second video, so it's not very long, um, less than two minutes, to introduce themselves to delegates and give them something to think about before the event. Now these don't have to be studio quality productions. In fact, it's better if they aren't. A simple selfie video with a casual background taken on a smartphone is good enough and it creates rapport between the speaker and delegates. Next are self-assessment tools. So ask your delegates to complete an online self-assessment survey based on the conference theme and the objectives. And you want to keep this brief, so seven to eight minutes at most, because delegates are already time poor. They don't want to spend 15 minutes completing an online survey. And the idea of this self-assessment is not to give you information, but to help them assess themselves, hence the name. So it's got to be something of value to them. And that means that you've got to use the right tool. If you use a tool like surveymonkey.com, that's easy. It's very easy for you to create an online survey. But the information you get is only for your benefit. It doesn't give instant feedback to the participant based on their responses. You want something that does more of an assessment for them. And so you want to use a more sophisticated tool. Uh, an example is outgrow.co. Um, and you don't always have to create this survey yourself. Some of your speakers or your sponsors or exhibitors might already have an appropriate tool that they use in their own business. So ask around. Ask them whether they've got something of high value that you can use to get your delegates thinking before they turn up to the event. For example, when I speak about disruption in the future, which are two of my big topics, uh, we suggest to the conference organizer that they offer my self-assessment tool, which is called Is Your Business Future Proof? And they simply send out a link to delegates and they can do that assessment. It takes them about five minutes to do the assessment and it gives them a report to help them understand their potential disruption points in their business. And more importantly for the conference organizer, it gets the delegates thinking about the event well before they arrive. You can try this yourself if you go to my website gihanperera.com and you'll see the self-assessment report. Is your business future-proof? The next one is a Twitter hashtag, or more commonly now, the event app, because more and more events are now using Twitter or an event app to increase engagement during that event. But it's not always easy to build momentum. It's hard to get people started using it early in the conference. And one way to address this is by using and promoting the event hashtag or the event app before the event. Now, it's not easy to encourage delegates to do this because they're probably not thinking much about the conference, but you can definitely ask your speakers and your sponsors and your exhibitors to take part. And all you want them to do is to share relevant material, for example, links to interesting articles, and ask some interesting questions on the Twitter feed or in the event app. Now, you've got to be careful because your sponsors and exhibitors will naturally want to promote their products and services and encourage delegates to visit their stand. That's fine. That's part of the value they get from their sponsorship. So you don't want to ban that, but also encourage them to share educational material that's of value to people who are browsing the feed or just casually looking at the app before they turn up at the event. The next one is pre-event gifts. So why do you wait until the event starts before you start awarding prizes and gifts? Don't. Find ways to offer them before the event as well. Ask your sponsors, your exhibitors and your speakers to offer some prizes and gifts and maybe uh, put aside one or two of them to be offered before the event. For example, if delegates are using the conference hashtag before the event, you could offer a small prize to the best post, the best response or the most liked post. Number three is to change from attending to participating. So your audience mix is changing. Fewer than a third of them are happy to just sit and listen to lecture-style presentations. That's a baby boomer style of attending conferences. Now, good conference organizers also cater to Generation X, and they're the people who like group participation and facilitation. Great conference organizers 
also cater to the millennial generation, Gen Gen Ys, and they value individuality, social media, and technology. So they want to participate as well, but they want to participate from their phones and using technology, and they want that seamlessly integrated into the conference experience. And you've got all these three generations at your event. Now, of course, you might have a specific demographic, but broadly speaking, in Australia, if you look at the average population, the demographics at your event, you find that they're roughly one-third, 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 those three generations, the baby boomers, the Gen X, and the Gen Ys, the millennials. And soon we'll have the Gen Zs coming into the into the workforce and into the conference space as well. So as the shape of the audience changes, there are clear indications that people want less of the sage from the stage and more opportunity to actively participate. And don't assume that this actually only applies to millennials and soon the Gen Zs, and provide these opportunities to all participants. And the McCrindle research, when they asked if in the future more delegates want to be active participants, 85% of the industry professionals said yes, and it's probably not surprising. So how can you make that happen? Well, first, you can ask your speakers to use the interactive tools. So encourage your speakers to go beyond just PowerPoint slideshows and use the interactive technology that you're making available during the event. Now, this is especially true for your external speakers. Some of your internal speakers, because they're not used to giving a lot of presentations, may be a little bit nervous about going beyond just PowerPoint. But your external speakers, there's no excuse for them not to be using some of these tools. For example, many event apps now support live feeds, interactive Q&A, and online polling. But if the presenters don't use these tools and if they don't integrate them into their sessions, the tools are useless. They just lie there being unused. And even if your event app itself doesn't support those tools, you can find powerful online services that do the same thing. For example, things like polleverywhere.com for online polling or slido, slido.com for managing Q&A. And don't think that you have to be limited by basic interaction either. These tools can now provide very visually appealing Um, feedback for participants in sessions. For example, with things like Poll Everywhere, you can do simple polls, multiple choice polls, but you can also do very visually appealing word clouds. Or you can have online bulletin boards with a tool like Padlet, dot com, where audience members share their responses and they appear um, live on the screen and like an online bulletin board. The next thing is live stream some of your sessions. So get input and feedback even from people who aren't at the conference by providing a live stream of your sessions. It may be selected sessions, uh, but live stream some of your sessions and have a Twitter hashtag for anybody anybody on the internet to comment during the stream. Now, live streaming used to be riskier and less reliable, but let's face it, everyone's doing Facebook Live and Snapchat videos now. Fast broadband internet and better streaming tools make it a viable option for many events now. I'm not suggesting you do it through Facebook Live, but I'm just saying that the technology is good enough now that live streaming is feasible and viable. That's not the concern. The technology is not the biggest concern. The bigger concern comes from organizations who worry that live streaming is going to cannibalize the registrations and the participation at the conference. After all, if you open up your conference material to outsiders with live streaming, Twitter hashtags and public comments, doesn't that diminish the value of registrations? Well, the answer, paradoxically, is no. Not if you do it right. See, the power of your conference is in the people, not the material, and people have more influence than ever before. Your delegates have access to networks that you could never reach. So if you allow them to share with their networks, you gain access to those networks as well. And as I said, you don't have to provide access to everything. Choose bits and pieces that provide high impact and enhance event brand and watch what happens. Chances are you'll improve the value for everybody, including yourself. I speak now at more and more conferences that want to live stream my sessions and some of the other sessions at the conference. There is a little bit of technology to manage and uh, it affects my presentation style. So, for example, where I can walk about on the stage and uh, how I present my slide deck. But it's something that I want to do because I recognize the value of live streaming and how it opens up the event beyond the walls of the conference center. The next thing you can do is seed your social media. Now, many conference organizers have high hopes for Twitter hashtags or event apps, 
But if that's not used actively, it can look like a ghost town. And that takes a shine off the event experience. So create ways to, if you like, prime the pump to build momentum for your Twitter hashtag or for your event app. For example, as I said earlier, encourage your speakers, your sponsors and exhibitors to start posting before the event. Also promote the Twitter hashtag widely during the conference and ask presenters to promote it on their opening slides. And similarly, if you've got an event app, uh, promote it often during the conference and ask your presenters to also mention it and use it. Uh, you could also appoint social media leaders to seed the online conversations. You could also display the live feed in a public area, such as the exhibition space, or if you're confident, or who you and your speakers are confident, as a live stream on stage during presentations. Uh, and I've presented in all of those environments where sometimes there's, uh, there's a Twitter feed live in the exhibition space, sometimes there's a Twitter feed live behind me on a second screen while I'm running my presentation, and actually increases engagement. People see what other people in the audience are saying, and it particularly engages with and connects with the Gen Ys, the millennials in the room. The other thing you can do is involve your delegates more. Don't assume that your delegates only want to consume material from your event. Involve them more in creating the experiences, and they'll value those experiences more. Dan Ariely, who's a behavioral economist, calls this the IKEA effect. His research shows that people who are more involved in creating the products that they use place a higher value on them. I read an interesting article by Alexandra Mottishead about what millennials, Gen Ys, want from meetings and events. So the article's entitled, Inclusion in the Process, What Millennials Want from Meetings and Events. So that title gives it away. They want inclusion in the process. Now, she also highlights some other ways to engage your millennials or your Gen Ys in your event. So here are some of them. She says that millennials are craving immersive and memory-making experiences over material goods and products. Millennials still recognize the importance of physical meetings and interactions. They want opportunities for professional networking. They understand the value of hearing others' career stories, case studies, and keeping in contact with professionals in their future industries. They're looking for maximization of technology, and they want to be sure that there are charging stations and Wi-Fi, social media walls, and event hashtags. They want a way to virtually interact with presenters and presentations while simultaneously being physically engaged. And then also, despite being willing to spend money on experiences, they also have to keep tabs on their spending. And then she finishes by saying, ultimately and most importantly, millennials want to be included in the events and meetings planning processes. So if you want to read that article in detail, I've just given you a summary here. Search for inclusion in the process, what millennials want from meetings and events. Number four is we're moving from information to insights. People just don't need more information in their lives, and they certainly don't need to attend a conference to get the information that they need. Good conference organizers create programs that balance information with interaction, collaboration, and participation. Great conference organizers find a way to capture insights in the moment, package them for future reference, and then distribute them in bite-sized chunks. Dave Lutz wrote an interesting article, Shifting from Delivery to Discovery, Conference Education. And he describes this important shift that's happening in the way that conferences and events deliver education. And he talked about what he calls a current system of education, which is delivery, and a better system of education, which he calls discovery. So in the current system, which is a delivery model, it works like this. Participants passively consume information in long segments. There's one-size-fits-all, impersonal and disconnected information. The speaker does most of the thinking, the sense-making and the explaining. And participants, if there's any evaluation, they evaluate their learning with the right and wrong answers on a test. And it's up to the speaker to do the problem solving and then share the solutions. And the participants then copy down those solutions. So that's, if you like, the old model. The new model is what he calls the discovery model, where participants uncover what the content means to them. They do the cognitive work in thinking about the material. They do the understanding and sense-making, which results in new ideas and approaches. They measure the quality of their thinking, not just the right and wrong answers. And the speaker tailors the presentation based on the question and interaction that's happening in the room. Now, you might already be offering that discovery model, but many organizations who put on conferences, they don't. They're still doing the old-style delivery. Now, there should be a mix, but 
Are you moving more towards discovery rather than delivery? Now, it goes without saying that you should book external speakers who are true professionals in delivering insights to your delegates and can help those delegates make sense of the information overload rather than adding to it. But this isn't always so easy, especially with your internal speakers. They play a vital role in your event because they're sharing inside knowledge for them from the industry they're providing case studies mentoring and other valuable expertise and experience but most internal speakers are not good presenters why should they be that's not part of their job so their presentations unfortunately can diminish rather than enhance the overall conference experience Obviously, you can't turn inexperienced speakers into brilliant presenters overnight, but actually it doesn't take a lot to give them some simple guidelines and tools to help them improve their presentations. The key is to give them ideas that they can use fast because they're already overloaded at work and they don't have the time to put a lot of work into their event presentations. As a professional speaker, I often coach presenters about how to design and deliver their messages simply and effectively. Now, I won't go into a lot of detail here because it's hard for me to explain in audio and a lot of this is quite visual and a little bit detailed but if you go to my website kihanparero.com go to the resources area and download the the white paper the future of conferences you'll get access to these resources and it'll also give you some uh, links to other material that i've created uh, articles webinar recordings and videos that will help speakers create more magnetic messages and these are specifically for people who aren't experienced presenters the sort of people that you'll have as the internal speakers at your event where you want them to lift the quality of their presentation so it becomes engaging without having to necessarily sizzle Number five is there's a great shift from energy to flow. As you know, managing delegates can be like herding cats. And one of your biggest challenges is keeping their attention, their focus and their energy. Now, good conference organizers do this by arranging the program to balance action and reflection, listening and talking, education and entertainment. Great conference organizers align everything with the conference theme and they help delegates flow through the conference so they manage their own energy and achieve their own goals. The McCrindle research asked industry insiders a number of things about connection and experiences. So one of the things was humans need to connect physically so conferences will always be in demand. 60% of people said yes. What about creating an integrated conference experience is essential? Almost half the people agreed with that statement. But what about this one? Learning and information are more important than fun and experience. Well, only 20% of people said yes to that. And it's not surprising because people do want an experience, not just an environment where their information and learning is thrown at them and shoved at them. So how do you make that happen? Here are some ideas. Number one is to design better panel discussions. Many conferences, of course, use panel sessions to involve more people, hear from many voices and shift the energy on stage. Now, these are all good goals, but too often panel sessions fall flat and they lack impact. A successful panel needs much more preparation than just asking panelists to speak their mind. Now, Sarah Michelle, in her article, Creating Powerful Panels That Engage Your Audience, shares what she calls her 10 panel commandments, which I think are great ideas for you to share with anybody participating in this panel at your event. So send this out to all your panelists. Number one, thou shalt serve the audience. So help them solve problems and find solutions and help them connect the dots. Two, thou shalt be prepared. Research the other panelists' positions. Keep your answers concise. Prepare three to five key messages that matter. Number three, thou shalt not bluster. So when you're speaking, keep it short. People prefer snappy, well-thought-out answers to interesting questions. Number four, thou shalt be additive, not repetitive. Don't repeat what's already been said. Speak up if you've got a different perspective or a different point of view. Number five leads on from that, thou shalt disagree diplomatically. So respectfully disagree without being disagreeable. Disagree because the discussion will benefit the audience. Number six, thou shalt not self-promote. Nobody wants to hear a sales pitch. And number seven, thou shalt not pontificate. Don't talk down to or lecture the audience. Number eight, thou shalt remember laughter is good. Number nine, thou shalt remember that images speak louder than words. So if you're using PowerPoint, use text sparingly. Select an impactful image that conveys your message. And number 10, 
Thou shalt remember attention span. So this is for the moderator. Change up the energy level every 10 minutes with an audience question, a poll, a story, or a 30-second rapid response to a question from the panelists. So those are the 10 panel commandments. If you'd like to get the original article, search for Creating Powerful Panels that Engage Your Audience by Sarah Michelle. Another thing you can do is ask for and really expect customized presentations from your external speakers. So you want your external speakers to deliver a polished, high-quality presentation, but that doesn't mean it should be exactly the same for every audience. So emphasize that they must customize and tailor their session to the audience and to your event theme. Now, the true professionals will do this anyway and will ask about this in the presentation brief, and they'll ensure that they make even small adjustments to customize their presentation. For example, they'll research the organization, they'll share inside knowledge, they'll know whether they should be referring to customers as customers or clients, they'll use industry jargon that people at the event will understand. They'll use local spelling and language in their slides and their other materials. They'll know the hot topics in the industry. Now much of this information can be shared in the speaker's presentation briefing and that's an important part of your event preparation. And of course you should brief your speakers before their presentation but too often a presentation briefing just becomes talking about logistics. Now that's important of course because you want the event to run smoothly but also use the briefing as an opportunity to share ideas about your organization, the conference theme and the audience expectations. Now, Of course for every presentation that I do, I do a presentation briefing and I can tell you that they range widely. Some conference organizers have very little in terms of preparation. Others give me detailed notes beforehand to talk about the philosophy of the organization, the theme of the conference, a lot of details about other speakers and so on. So it really does vary. And the more prepared you are as a conference organizer, the better. Now, the best speakers will help you prepare by supplying some briefing questions, but many won't. So make sure that you provide your own briefing notes to help speakers prepare. For example, here are a few of the questions that I include in my briefing notes for clients. You're welcome to use them to create a briefing sheet to send to your other external speakers. What can you tell me about your audience? This is demographics, age, males versus females, their roles in the organization. What do you want Gihan's presentation to accomplish? Specifically, what do you want them to say after it? What do you want them to think? What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? I find those four questions are really useful because they help narrow it down for the conference organizer. How receptive is the audience to change? I'll just give you one more. Is there anything Gihan shouldn't say or imply? Is there anything taboo? That's really useful for me to know as a speaker and it's useful for you as a conference organizer just to think about that question and include it perhaps in your presentation briefing notes. Another thing you can do is coach the MC. Coach your MC to tweak their speaker introductions and session announcements to align with the conference theme. Now, a professional MC, if you've got one, will do this anyway because they know it's an important part of their role. But if you're not hiring a professional MC for your event, emphasize this to the MC that you use. Number six is the technology one. We're moving from gadgets to tools. Technology absolutely has a power to transform the entire conference experience, but only if it's used effectively and not just a random collection of bright, shiny objects, which too often, that's the way it goes. Good conference organizers use technology that replaces old techniques, such as a conference app, uh, online session bookings, and downloadable resources, Great conference organizers use technology that enhances and transforms the in-person experience rather than just making it more efficient. Now, it's interesting to see which technologies event professionals see as important. When asked in this McCrindle research, which technology would have a significant impact in the events industry in the next 15 years, these were their top five responses. I wonder whether you've come up with the same. Real-time language translation, number one. In other words, You're sitting listening to a presenter and maybe you have a little earpiece in that will translate it into your local language. Number two is the Internet of Things. In other words, having an Internet connection or connectivity in everything. It may even be in the seats and the seats can measure how restless are the audience or how attentive are the audience while the presenter is speaking. Number three, augmented reality and virtual reality, sometimes known as AR and VR. Number four, live information feeds leading to instant presentation adaptation. In other words, the speaker's presenting 
And while they're presenting, they're getting information about how they should tailor their presentation and adjust it in the moment. And number five, interactive tables, so tables which can be responsive. Now, there's some others that have gained a lot of media hype, but they didn't make the cut. They didn't make the top five and maybe not even the top ten. Things like holograms, heat maps of foot traffic through your event space, artificial intelligence and robotics, facial recognition software. Now, these technologies could have some impact, but event professionals don't think that they're going to have great impact. They've got their clear priorities in mind, and that's a good thing. Now, event technology changes so quickly, it doesn't make sense for me to recommend any specific tools because any list obviously becomes obsolete very quickly. But there's some general principles you can follow when choosing your event technology. The first is that you should always solve a problem. When Jamie Kasap, Google's head of global education, speaks to school groups, he says, instead of asking students what they want to be when they grow up, I ask them what problem they want to solve. This is a pretty good guiding principle for us all. What problem does this piece of technology solve? If it doesn't solve a problem, add value or enhance event experience, get rid of it. This is the best way to avoid bright, shiny object syndrome. Next thing you can do is to ask your speakers and exhibitors. Your external speakers, sponsors and exhibitors often attend many conferences as part of their jobs. So they see and use a variety of event technology. Ask them to share their experience about what works and what doesn't and use that experience to inform your choice for your event. Also ask your organization's employees or your association members. Don't assume that you know more than your delegates. Many of them, especially the millennials and the Gen Zs, love technology and they'll readily share what they know if you ask them. Don't get stuck with what you know. It's easy to rely only on what you know has worked in the past. It might even continue to work in the future, but if you only ever stick to what you know, your events will soon look stale and old-fashioned. So the way around this is that for every piece of event technology that you use, first identify the problem it solves, and then ask, if we didn't have this, What's the best way to solve this problem? Now, you might still end up using this technology, but it also gives you the opportunity to choose something better. Next, expect it to fail. However well you test your technology, have a backup plan in case it fails. Even just knowing that you have a plan B puts you in a stronger position because it gives you more confidence to push ahead with your plan A. As my brother-in-law Neil Mattingly said to me when he was coaching me in tennis, you're only as good as your second serve. And my last piece of advice around technology is very personal. It's Ask Corbin Ball. So in this fast-changing technology world, it's rare for any industry to have a standout expert. But at least in the Western world, the undisputed expert in event technology is Corbin Ball, C-O-R-B-I-N, Ball. So you should just follow everything that he does at corbinball.com. Number seven is a shift from corridor conversations to in-session collaboration. If so many delegates think the conversations that they have outside the formal presentations are the most valuable part of the conference, why do you bother with the presentations? Well, good conference organizers know that the presentations are important, but only if they allow opportunities for participants to chat, contribute and collaborate. Great conference organizers look beyond the presentations and find other ways for delegates to interact, both at the event itself and in the extended online community. Okay, so what are the things you can do? First, create planned serendipity. So when creating a conference program, don't just focus on the presentations, even if they're highly interactive, also create spaces for delegates to connect, network and reconnect. And there are a number of ways you could do this now. For example, one of them is this idea of speed networking. And Simone Potcher describes the value of speed networking in an article that she wrote, Speed Networking at Your Next Conference. She said there are various ways that you could do it. So one is that you have attendees speed networking with experts and speakers in a group, in workshop style, with a focus on pre-selected topics. Or you could have attendees speed network individually based on the speaker's focus, 
Or you could have speed networking among the delegates themselves. But she also cautions conference organizers about getting it right. She says that speed networking can be a huge success or a total disaster. But done right, it provides a structured way to match the right individuals with each other, creating a massive return on investment from attendance. So look at your speed networking through the lens of your attendees and figure out which connections are going to serve them best. So if you'd like to read the full article, again, it's called Speed Networking at Your Next Conference. Another thing you can do, of course, is to design interactive sessions. So you design your sessions that will allow back and forth interaction with the presenters. You have group discussions, you have one-on-one conversations. And now there's some obvious session formats that encourage participation in group discussion, including panel interviews and moderated discussions, but also consider some other techniques which are newer and maybe not as popular yet, but are still really effective. Things like World Cafe and open space technology. And even with your traditional presentations, you can enhance interactive sessions by using online tools like Slido, so you have an online Q&A, or you have a fun microphone like the Catchbox, which people throw around the room when they want to ask a question. The other thing you can do is encourage online engagement. So use live streaming and the conference Twitter hashtag to spark conversations, to ask and answer questions, and invite input and feedback, even from people who aren't at the event itself. And I've already mentioned this. Opening up your event to the world doesn't diminish its impact, it enhances it. Number eight is the shift from skills to shifts. There's so many channels available now for learning new skills, and a conference isn't usually near the top of the list. Good conference organizers include some sessions for developing skills, and they provide multiple streams to help participants self-select the most valuable sessions. Great conference organizers focus on shifting thinking rather than teaching skills, and they plan the program around ideas, mindsets, and inspiration for new ways of thinking. So what can you do? First of all, obviously, shift thinking. So choose your external speakers as a kind of people who can shift thinking rather than just inspiring delegates or rather than just building skills. So, for example, in my presentation briefing with clients who book me for a keynote presentation, I ask these four questions, which I mentioned a little bit earlier in a different context. What do you want the audience to say after my presentation? What do you want them to think, feel and do? But importantly, I don't ask, what do you want them to know? Because my job as a keynote speaker is to shift their thinking, not to increase their knowledge. If they want knowledge, they can ask Google or they can get additional resources. That said, another thing you can do is to link keynotes with breakout sessions. So ask your keynote speakers to provide breakout sessions that reinforce their key messages and complement their keynote. This is one area where a presenter can teach skills because they've already shifted the thinking in their keynote session and they can now add practical take-home value and skills in the breakout session. And if you use the same speaker for both sessions, you get a smooth transition between them and you don't risk two different speakers clashing in their principles or their ideas. And that'll confuse the audience. I'm not saying you should never have speakers who have varying ideas or have different perspectives, but if you want a keynote session to complement a breakout session, then it makes a lot of sense to have the same speaker present both of them. Another thing you can do is to encourage those fearless conversations. So schedule sessions that encourage fearless conversations on controversial topics. Don't shy away from those difficult conversations. Instead, embrace the opportunity. Your event might be the best venue for all the interested parties to have the chance to air their views, to share their ideas, and to give insights to everybody else. Now, you might need to engage a skillful facilitator for these sessions because you want them to deepen thinking rather than drive people further apart. And one last thing you can do is to use online courses for skills training. Online courses have really transformed the way that people can learn new skills. So instead of using your valuable conference resources and time for skills training, encourage and promote online courses instead. Now, there's some large online course providers like Coursera.org, but I reckon for most people, it's easy to start with smaller, but still high quality providers like opentostudy.com. Open, the number two, and then study.com, which is backed by a number of Australian and New Zealand universities. So browse Open to Study for courses that are related to your conference theme and link to them. Make them available on the conference website, the event app, and in your password-protected resource page for delegates after the event. 
Number nine is a shift from event to journey. See, a conference isn't a single event in the participant's life. It's one part of an ongoing journey. And good conference organizers show participants how to get more value from the conference material after they leave the room. Great conference organizers create ways for the participants themselves to keep the learning alive. So what can you do? First of all, something I mentioned before is to start the learning before the event. I've already talked about ways to engage your delegates before the event with things like self-assessment tools, educational articles, pre-event videos from the speakers, interviews with leaders and key influencers, using the Twitter hashtag or event app before the event, and offering gifts and prizes before the event. The other thing you can do is to capture and share key takeaways. So capture takeaways during the event and share them with delegates later. Now, the most common vehicle for this is a password-protected page on the conference website, but you can now do it in other ways, such as an ongoing email campaign, a private Facebook group or LinkedIn group, or in the event app itself. You can also use online content creation tools like wakelet.com to share resources. You should ask your speakers for post-conference activities. Many of your external speakers will also offer other services in their business, such as training, facilitating, mentoring and coaching. Now, sometimes those services can fall within your responsibility and budget as a conference organizer, but sometimes they don't. And even if they don't, you might be able to ask speakers to provide alternatives that empower delegates to do the activities themselves, personally or in-house. For example, if a speaker provides a workshop that complements their keynote presentation, they might also license in-house trainers to deliver that workshop material. Now, that keeps the learning alive after the conference. And it'll cost you some money, but usually cost less than engaging the speaker to deliver that material herself. Either way, it costs a lot less than having delegates forgetting their learnings as soon as they leave the event. Another thing you can do is create mastermind groups. So help delegates create mastermind groups or buddies to keep each other accountable. Now you can do this in different ways depending on your level of commitment. First, you can simply remind delegates to share their contact details and business cards with each other. Another option is that you can share their details, with their permission of course, with each other. Another option is to set aside a matchmaking session near the end of the event for delegates to find buddies and to create mastermind groups. Another option is to show your delegates how to use a service like meetup.com to facilitate future meetings of their mastermind groups. And then you could host the follow-up sessions yourself. So if you want to go a step further, extend the event experience by hosting some of these follow-up sessions yourself. Of course, it's usually not feasible to bring delegates back to the venue every month. You can do this if you're an internal conference organizer and you're hosting, say, regular lunch and learn events. But even if you can't bring delegates back physically to a venue, you can host online events such as webinars, video conferencing, and online mastermind groups. Okay, number 10, the last thing that great conference organizers do differently is think about online differently. So it's not an online substitute, it's an online enhancement. Online collaboration tools can absolutely replace some of what happens at the conference. And you can see that as a threat or an opportunity. Good conference organizers use online tools during the event to increase engagement, especially with the millennials. Great conference organizers treat that combination of online and in-person events as part of one continuous learning journey. Now, despite the potential for online tools to enhance in-person events, it's not surprising that event professionals worry about whether online meetings will cannibalize attendance at in-person meetings. And it's it's a fair question. It's a reasonable thing to be concerned about, and it largely depends on economic circumstances. For example, during the financial crisis in 2009, Forbes Insights reported that almost 60% of business executives said they were traveling for business less than 18 months earlier, with more than a third of them saying much less frequently. This was in the USA, so North America and Europe, which is, of course, where the financial crisis hit. And by 2010, Carlson Wagonlit Travel reported that virtual meetings had grown at 80% of companies worldwide. But that isn't necessarily the end of in-person meetings. If you do it well, online collaboration tools enhance in-person meetings and smart event professionals recognize their potential. Okay, so how do you do this? 
Well, there are a number of options, and many of them. Here are a few. You can create personal learning networks. So you help each delegate create what's called a PLN, a personal learning network, for ongoing actions after the event. A personal learning network is simply the name given to the way that they consume information for learning. So it's the blogs that they read, the newsletters they subscribe to, it's the podcasts they listen to, the YouTube channels that they watch regularly, and the websites that they visit frequently. So you should definitely encourage your speakers to share their favorite resources not only their own, but also resources they recommend, and then gather all of these resources for delegates to browse later. And there are many different formats or channels for receiving and consuming information, and different people have different preferences. So provide a variety of options to suit different styles. For example, let me tell you the four main formats with pros and cons. Text, very common, easy to skim, fast to download, but requires attention and concentration. Audio, You can listen to it while multitasking. You can listen at double speed to save time. But it's not so easy to skim and it's not suited to visual material. Video is high quality information because it combines text, audio and visuals. But it's the slowest to download and requires dedicated time to consume that information. Slideshows kind of fit between audio and video. It's not as high quality as video, but it's easier to grasp key information quickly and you can jump ahead quicker so it's easier to skim. So what are those resources? Well, as I said, you should ask your speakers for resources that they can provide as well because it does take time to develop these online resources and busy event professionals don't have that time. But your first port of call should be your speakers. They often have additional resources that complement their key messages. Now, this should go far beyond supplying just a PDF version of their slide deck. In fact, if their slide deck makes any sense in isolation without them presenting it, it's been badly designed. The best speakers can provide additional resources in different formats. Let me give you some examples. Written material, articles, blog posts, special reports, white papers, ebooks. Audio, MP3 downloads, interviews with key people at the event. Video, video tutorials, customized videos for delegates, narrated slideshows. What about interactive? The post-conference webinar that a speaker runs, a video conference Q&A session, or a mobile app. For example, after my keynote presentations, many delegates asked me for help in how to think like a futurist. So I developed a free mobile app called Fit for the Future, and I now offer it to most conference organizers who want it to offer to their delegates during my presentation. Now, most speakers won't have developed their own app. Now, they should, but that's another story. But they should be able to provide some post-event resources to keep the learning alive. Now, by the way, if you're interested in my app, go to gihanperera.com and go to the resources page and you can download my app. It's available free and ad-free for both iOS and Android. So we've come to the end of the 10 things that great conference organizers do differently. So here's a summary of the 10 things again. First of all, networking is not enough. Your attendees want to make strong connections and build lasting relationships. Number two, their thinking starts before they arrive. Help delegates with better preparation so they make the most of the conference experience. Three, they're not just attendees sitting silently and listening. They want to be active participants in co-creating the conference experience. Four, they don't come to the conference for more information. They want actionable insights that will make a lasting difference. Five, they don't want you to work at keeping them entertained and engaged. They want a conference that flows effortlessly. Number six, gadgets and gizmos don't impress anymore unless they're transformational tools that really enhance the experience. Seven, they want to take their corridor conversations inside and actively take part in in in-session collaboration. Eight, there are other places where they can learn new skills. They want the conference to shift their thinking instead. Nine, a conference isn't a one-off event. It can now be an integrated part of their entire journey. And ten, Online events aren't the enemy of in-person conferences. They can enhance and extend the overall experience. So I've talked about a number of things here, and I hope you're not feeling overwhelmed by it, because you don't need to implement them all at the same time. You can add, mix, complement, enhance, and extend these ideas into your existing events, and you'll create a better experience for everybody. The only thing I suggest is that you don't do nothing. Do something. Take some of these ideas, use them, and see what a difference it makes. These are the sort of things that great conference organizers are doing differently, and that's the best way for you to be fit for the future. 
So I hope you got some value from that. Whether or not you're a conference organizer, if you're all involved in events and meetings and the way that people collaborate now, I hope there's some ideas there that you'll be able to take away and use yourself. If you are involved in the industry, then I really do recommend that you download my report, The Future of Conferences, from my website because I think you'll find it very valuable to have it in written form and with all the links that you can follow as well. Uh, if you've got any questions about that, please drop me a line. Gihan at GihanPereira.com. I'd love to talk to you about what I think is happening with the future of conferences. And also, of course, if you'd like to book me as a keynote speaker for one of your conferences, I'd love to talk to you about that as well. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I would love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store in the podcast area. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, then check out my speaking topics and workshop topics at gihanspeaks.com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, go to gihanparera.com where you can find my blog, my newsletter, my podcast, videos, and my free webinars series. They're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team, and of course yourself, that you can become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.